Rachel Daly is a striker. The end. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. She's got great passing range. She scores goals. She's great in the air. Brilliant in the air. Yeah. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. Our performances was just lacked that intensity. Red, amber, green. Yes. Start with the red, as per usual, Jer. I think, like, Welsh and English rugby both in a bit of bother after oh, the... Oh, this is my chance now. I can do it now. This okay, is your chance. You keep going. There. Let's do it. Talk and, yourself. I'd like to start maybe with Wales because I think we'll build up to, to giving out a smack about Eddie Jones because that's the, that's the fun part, so I'd like to leave the fun part to the end. Uh, Wales, um, what do you say about the weekend? 39-34, they lose to Australia. This is an Australia that were under strength, to say the least. It certainly wasn't their, their starting 15. Um, 26 unanswered points during the last 22 minutes of that game conceded by Wales. A ninth defeat in 12 tests this year. And as they head into the Six Nations, you're thinking, I mean, Wayne Pivak's gone. Surely he's gone. Uh, all the talk is Warren Gatlin is coming straight back in. Uh, of course, he was the man there before Pivak. Um, interim head coach, maybe, 12 year, 12-month contract. He's the obvious man for the job, and it seems, if the papers are to be believed today, that there are to be meetings with senior Welsh rugby officials that have uh, kind of kicked off after that defeat against Georgia um, eight days ago. That was kind of the kickstart of this. You can lose to certain teams, you can't lose to Georgia. And uh, I think it's more the, the nature of the defeat to Australia at the weekend as opposed to the defeat itself. To concede so many late points and to, to be so far ahead and to let the team back in uh, in Australia, I don't know, there's just something. When Wales play Australia, they, they just can't seem to get over the line. There's, there's, there's an issue there. There's a mental block. If it was just Australia, that'd be fine. Like you'd be like, okay, that's grand. We'll, 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 you know, see how this goes in the World Cup. But um, Welsh rugby has fallen off a cliff. Like, and it's, it's root and branch reform required, according to all of the legends of the game who are writing the papers. But like, that's not going to fix things between now and the World Cup. No. And the the thing, the funny thing is, he uh, Pivac was due to travel to uh, France on Sunday to to kind of scope out the four pool stage venues for the World Cup for Wales, Bordeaux, Nice, Lyon, and Nantes. It feels like a bit of a pointless trip now because well, someone's got to do it. Well, know? someone's going to do it and take the notes. But I mean, if I'm wearing Pivac, I'm burning those notes when I come home and get All sacked. Right, well, you, you know, you send somebody with him to take notes too to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Don't send him by himself. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm just looking at the fixtures. Okay, so sorry, Wales Six Nations fixtures. Uh, Italy versus Wales, Stadio Olimpico, Saturday, 11th of March. Uh, Italy are ringing that and we're going, come on, you know. Oh, 100%. You're, Italy, you're licking your lips at Wales at the moment. Every team in the world is licking their lips at Wales at the moment. They're a bit of an embarrassment. Um, Pivac has to go. Careful now, you're going to end up on Wales Online. <laughs> well, they are embarrassed. Like, I don't think anyone on Wales Online or anyone who's a Welsh or a Wii fan would disagree that at the moment things need to change Shane you could say you're telling it like it is there you go exactly we should tell it like it is with Eddie Jones as well uh, Jerry. I think this morning because uh, no, hang on we, we can spend a bit more time on Wales right? You wanna, sorry you want to stick the boot into Wales well I just think that like it's sad you know it's sad go on tell me why it's sad well that great red jersey it was you know the the um, the teams that inspired almost all the world to take up rugby by scoring those length of the field tries you know, sorry, but where, like, where has the romance gone, Shane? To a kick of the ball away from a grand slam, they win a Six Nations title, they beat the South Africans in in, uh, in South Africa. Um, so you're thinking all, all is well in Welsh rugby, and then 
shit hits the fan when it comes to November internationals, especially. And you're like, well, what? How does this? How does it actually materialise that they can be so good in last year's Six Nations and then so crap in November? Where do they go from here? Where do, yeah, where do they go from here? Essentially, uh, but when's the best time to let go? I of, think of a manager. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Wales have got a track record of sacking uh, coaches this distance out from a World Cup and it actually having an impact. So we'll see. I mean, I I didn't think I didn't think Pivac was great but then obviously things improved slightly and then they seem to have regressed again. I think the Welsh playing pool is so thin at the moment that it's very difficult for anybody to have any level of consistency and here's the thing if everybody gets fit for the World Cup they'll still go deep and they'll still cause trouble for people it's just whether or not and also they're on the side of the draws we all know <clears throat> it's just whether or not the, the enough players are fit and in form so Gatlin could come in and restore some order and you would say that would that could have an impact, but it might be it not, might not be uh, cause and effect. It might just be that he gets a little bit more lucky with um, with injuries. Yeah. Also, his experience is is at the very high end of international rugby. So, I mean, it's a bit of a shot to nothing for Gatland. It would suggest that his dreams of coaching the All Blacks are gone. And I know he hasn't really been mentioned in dispatches around that post since he went back down to New Zealand and things didn't work out properly for him there. But like Gatlin back in the Six Nations, you know, lobbing grenades at us. Oh, like, we'll like randomly, it. you'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, Andy Farrell seems uh, less um, likely to interact with that than some of our previous coaching tickets. Yeah. Uh, I shall leave it at that. Yeah, I think if you're a, new, you're a neutral or an Irish rugby fan, you, you kind of want Warren Gatlin back in. It's a bit of crack and... If, one thing determined what uh, his previous tenure at Wales was, was about, it was consistency. And that is the one thing that they do not have at the moment is consistency in results. They're just, every now and again, they'll pop up with a, with a pretty good performance and then they'll have a Georgia or an Australia where they, they look like they're on fire and then they just let Australia back into the game. Like You're looking at club results. Like Cardiff uh, beating the Sharks 35-0 in South Africa at the weekend in the URC. You're thinking, OK, well, that's, that's a really positive sign for Welsh rugby because that came out of the blue. But... Uh, at international level, it's just not materialising. And uh, yeah, one win in the autumn series is a bit of a damning indictment, I think, of Wayne Pivak. We're talking here, you know, as if there's any chance in the world that, you know, will he, will he stay, will he go? He's gone. Wayne Pivak will be gone. Um, you'd imagine it's just a matter of when. Um, I don't think you, you should hold on to a manager. Like, you want the manager who's in charge of the Six Nations to be in charge of the World Cup as well. You can't, you can't go into the Six Nations now with Pivak, have a per enough... Uh, Six Nations and then expect him to turn it around in time for the World Cup so I think if they're going to do it it's got to be it's got to be cutthroat and it's got to be pretty quickly uh, yeah so the, uh, don't do it after the Six Nations is what you're saying I mean, what? well <laughs> if you're going to do it do it now yeah although I mean things could get worse they could win no games in the Six Nations and then they're like okay wait I mean we tried Wayne we definitely tried to give you every opportunity and unfortunately it hasn't worked for us anyway look Sir Clive right yeah you want to uh, get on to England Eddie's last chance. If England lose next match, Jones must go. But the next match is like the first match of the Six Nations. So, yeah. Uh, That's too long. Well, uh, it's a strange time to do it, you know? I, that doesn't make any sense. Zero sense. Um, yeah. yeah, so it, it, it's a bit of a bizarre. What's Clive saying? England are not just losing. They're going backwards at an alarming rate of knots. Yesterday, the RFU released a bland statement confirming their review panel will discuss the autumn campaign. This is the same anonymous RFU review panel that has been in place since 2019. So here we go again. Another year, another review. And then blah, blah, blah. Needs to be transparent. Everybody needs to know who it is. It, uh, uh, he apparently had a go with Conor O'Shea over the weekend, but I can't see that in this piece. So maybe it was in a different mm. piece. 
since 2019, when Jones England failed to turn up in the World Cup final, you know, having reached the World Cup final, this anonymous panel has conducted two utterly pointless reviews. For reasons which have never been explained to me, I have never been invited to participate in any of these reviews. At the risk of sounding arrogant, I believe I am the most qualified Englishman to conduct an investigation. People might read that and think, I'm angling for a job. Nothing could be further from the truth. The role as RFU director of rugby would have interested me ten years ago, but that ship has long sailed. Jesus. I've got the quotes on Conor O'Shea in front of me here as well, apparently from his Daily Mail column over the weekend. I know what it's like to be successful at the top level of international rugby, and I don't see the qualities needed to do that in the leading figures of the RFU. It comes back to Bill Sweeney and Conor O'Shea at the top of the organisation who aren't good enough to be in their current positions. I mean, two-footed. Sweeney and O'Shea are paying the price for not employing a director of rugby. Fair point there, potentially. An autumn this bad has been coming and coming for a while. You can't disagree with everything that, that Clive Woodward is saying, and I think he, he has a point on the, the review process. It's a bit of a... Does he? Does well, the, he? I mean, I don't know. These reviews, like, what's the, you know, ultimately... What comes from them? Well, what's the point of them? What are they trying to do, right? They're trying to hold the uh, international manager, coach, accountable to a committee generally of amateurs. It's like this really old system. It doesn't, it doesn't make, like, the, the... I don't know. You definitely need some uh, performance management of your elite teams and it's difficult to find a way to make that work that fits with rugby that isn't just corporate bullshit. Mm. And this all seems like corporate bullshit. Where Sir Clive definitely doesn't want the gig but would have taken the gig if you'd offered it to him 10 years ago. And you know what? Maybe maybe, maybe they're going to read this and go, yeah, you're criticising us. Oh yeah, maybe you could come in and, and be involved. Maybe that might be a way to do well, it. Well, it's going to go one of two ways for him. It's either they look at it and say, yeah, maybe, maybe Clive's the man or maybe he they says, look at it and say... My hunch is that after the World Cup, the new director of rugby will be Jones and Steve Borthwick will come in as head coach. But Eddie Jones has already been lined up to go and uh, join America for an eight year. Is that not like, I mean, do we not all think that that's more likely to happen than him staying in England as director of rugby and continuing to take this? Mm. Like, does Eddie Jones need this in his life? He probably doesn't. No. I don't don't think Eddie Jones is doing a great job, but I do think that he's always managed to get a team ready for a World Cup. Get a bit one bit here. Stop talking about the World Cup. It epitomizes the cozy culture of English rugby and is a surefire way to keep your job no matter how poorly you perform. <laughs> but it's all that matters. He's doing a he's doing a really poor job, Eddie Jones. That, that this is their worst calendar year since two thousand and eight. Looking at their record here in front of me. Six losses, five wins and a draw. More defeats than wins this calendar year. It's terrible that England and Wales in, in the mire at the same time. It's really awful, isn't it? Yeah. It's such a pity for rugby at a global level, that these two superpowers just can't seem to, you know, rise above the mediocrity which is constraining their ambition. You, you look very upset there, Jerry. I have to say. terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely don't want them to get rid of Eddie Jones right now. I do not want to see what Scott Robertson and Ron Nagara or Ron Nagara could do in this situation right now. I don't want to see that. That would be not good for the rest of the world. Great moment for a coach to come in, though, when things are, oh, it's amazing. Things are bad. I mean, you're, you're like, well, this can only go up. Surely, yeah, so England, uh, brutal. And the booze at, the booze at Twickenham as well, mm. after the game. I mean, the English fans are clearly fickle, but uh, the, only, the only game they had a, any decent performance was, was against Japan in the November Internationals, and they've been shocking in the rest of it. So. Ah, well, they were brilliant for 15 minutes at the end of the game 15 against, minutes, against yeah. New Zealand. Like, and there probably is a template there, if you're Robertson and our O'Gara looking at that going, well, I mean, we could actually play like this all the time, lads, if we just didn't have the constraints, but... I don't know. Eddie seems like a, a difficult character to deal with and his Jose Mourinho-esque style management of hu- other human beings seems to have um, worn out. So I don't know. Sorry, his quotes after the, after the match of the weekend. I don't care what people think. And that, like, this is a 14-man South African side that they're losing 27-13 to. But, you, know, you might not care what people think, but I mean, you should. You probably should. Um, 
So yeah, it's just it's just a poor time for for, for Pivac and Jones. So we we also feel very sorry for them here. On we'll have more on this with Alan Quinn a little, little bit later on. If uh, you are listening on podcast, then you can uh, subscribe to the OTB Rugby feed, and you'll get analysis and reaction to that there. Will we go to the next one? Yeah. Go so for. red, we have Belgium. Um, I don't know what to say about um, about Belgium. You probably have to talk about Roberto Martinez here uh, as as the. The main problem, I saw a tweet from someone uh, last night where they were kind of comparing Martinez to Southgate. Who was more tactically out of their depth, Southgate or Martinez? Neil Robertson, the snooker player responding big football fan, he said, both destroyed a golden generation. <laughs> I mean, it's harsh, but uh, with Roberto Martinez, there's been a lot of critics coming out of the woodwork in the last few days since, uh, since the weekend. I, I don't know how... We all feel about Belgium, but the Morocco game just was not good. Um, look, Morocco had the, had the crowd behind them. Uh, it feels kind of feels a little bit harsh to criticise Martinez because he's done good things. They, they were, you know, world number one team in the rankings. They uh, were okay in major tournaments. Uh, knocked out of the, the 2018 World Cup and the Euro 2020 to the eventual winners. Beat Brazil. <clears throat> Beat Brazil. So no silverware, but uh, um, you know these are close calls, uh, and you'd imagine. Martinez is sitting there going, why, why hasn't this worked? What's going wrong? You're seeing people like Thierry Henry on the bench as well. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, his quotes at the weekend were quite interesting, to say the very least. He said, they're too old to win the World Cup. This is before the Morocco game. Um, this was an interview with the, with the Guardian last uh, Saturday. And he said, no chance of winning the World Cup. We're too old. That is a remarkable quote to get from your main man during a tournament. To, say, to suggest at any stage that you can't win it. Do you think he means it? Well, is it not like a reverse jinx type? Well, it could like, be. Maybe he does. Maybe he does mean it. Maybe Kevin De Bruyne is very straightforward. He's, he has always seemed fairly straightforward. Yeah, uh, you know. <clears throat> well, Martinez was. He was asked about the comments um, in the post-match press conference. I think after the game at the weekend, he said, "This is the first time I've heard that." At a World Cup, players have to speak to the media every day. Ninety percent will be positive, but there are always one or two lines that don't fit into the context. A player is allowed to wear their view. Uh, maybe it was a double bluff. It's what happens behind the scenes that matters. I don't know. Was it a double bluff? De Bruyne seemed fairly legit yeah. in what he was saying. Yeah, Vertonghen <coughs> uh, said maybe we were too old in attack last night after the, uh, <laughs> the last answer response. Maybe the other end, the other end of the pitch as well. Uh, Marti- like Martinez is kind of hinting at uh, the weight of expectation. They don't have a Brazil weight of expectation on their shoulders, Belgium. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Nobody's coming in going Belgium should win this World Cup. I'd say the Belgian fans are probably thinking it. You know, I'd say yeah. I'd say the Belgian fans probably thought that they, this. This, like the golden generation. I mean, that Neil Robertson thing. Did, well, I mean, Southgate wasn't in charge when the original golden generation with golden balls and his crew were were there. He didn't have Wayne Rooney, like the best young footballer in the world, playing for his team. It's true. Uh, yeah, he's Phil Foden, one of the best young footballers in the world, and he won't even put him on the pitch. Yeah. It's another matter. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later on with Gavin Cooney. Um, You'd wonder. There, yeah, there are certain teams, and I think Belgium have to be one of those teams in the red because uh, after the weekend, you're, you're looking at them. They were better on the ball than they were against Canada. Um, in the Morocco game, but that last pass was just uh, just not there, and uh, there was a there was a fear of losing. I think as Martinez put it as well. So I also think Morocco are no mugs. Like yeah, they're a good team. That's the thing. There's been a, a this. We keep talking about this in the, in the tier that we're in. There's been there's no shy teams anymore. Basically, nope. uh, Robbie Brady said that to David Snade in a piece a couple of weeks ago, and David told us about it a couple of weeks ago, and he's right. Like mm. none of these teams, they all have like Morocco have players who have played in massive massive games, and they were able to influence in key moments, matches against another side who have their flaws. Like, Belgium are a very flawed team. I still don't think they're out. And it's amazing to me that it was Courtois who ended up with the mistake that cost them the first goal, and that's such a key goal. So, still, I, still, I still love you, Thibaut. Still you're play you're for still it. my number one. 
You still love him? Yeah, he's he's quality. Um, but I'm just looking at the group here. I mean, the, the table is fairly well set in their group, and it's in fact to be fair to a lot of the groups, it's it's going down to the last yeah. to the last game in, in a lot of them. Croatia four points, Morocco four, Belgium three, and Canada zero. I like that group, uh, and it's what it, Belgium Croatia in the last game. Yeah, it should be a decent game. So. Uh, you'd assume Morocco will beat Canada, but you don't know. I mean, Canada with nothing to lose, like they were still at it. Anyway, we'll get on to this now. Yeah, the amber. Uh, so this is Croatia and Canada. And uh, the beef with these two countries is uh, is very much real. This should really be Kevin Caban versus Paul Petrosolido, right? That, that was the beef of the weekend, where uh, Kev... <laughs> oh, yeah. Where Kev was attacking Petrosolido after Petrosolido came for him. And it was like, screw you. And all of Ireland were like... Hang on a second. Who the hell are you, Paul Pesciolino? Yeah, well, he Who the hell are you? He said there were too many British pundits. There was an, yeah. Uh, which, by the way, is just a complete dig at Kev, because well, Pesciolino knows rightly that Kev is a proud Irishman. Well, there you go. Somebody did go. He's not talking about you, Kev. Couldn't, he couldn't be talking about you, obviously. Yeah. Well, he might well have been. Uh, but I, think, I think he might have been. And look, we'll defend Kev here. Screw I, you, Pesciolino. That's what we're saying. We're coming for you, buddy. Yeah, screw you, Paul Pesciolino. I, I, I was watching... Hey, the next time you drink the pint of Guinness, may the head be flat. <laughs> I, uh, I watched the Canada game on TSN last night so I could get the whole Kevin Cabana oh, yeah. experience. And, uh, uh, totally legal, of course. But yeah, go of on. course. We're, we're all biased here, but Kevin's brilliant. He's a brilliant pundit, and he added to it nicely. And there's, enough, there's a load of Canadian voices on the coverage. Um, and Kev adds that different dimension, the outsider, who's kind of come in and, and watching a lot of football over there now as well. So I think it needs that. Um, uh, like you're seeing punditry, like Maurizio Pochettino was on the BBC at the weekend, and I mean, he's not English. But it adds to the it adds to the punditry, and he was brilliant. I thought, um, unsurprisingly, he's one of the best coaches in the world. But yeah, the Kev stuff was, was a bit mad. But the the great beef um, that also involved Canada the weekend was was John Herdman versus Lako Dalic, the uh, Canadian versus Croatian manager. So there was a pitch side interview uh, after Canada's previous game uh, to the Croatia one uh, yesterday, and he said, "I told them they belong here, and we're going to go and fuck Croatia." That's as simple as it gets. And then a Canadian reporter. A little, little language warning there for any young ears in the car. It's going to yeah. be in the next 10 seconds, maybe a few F bombs. There might be a couple of F bombs. You've one job there. Go on. Yeah, sorry. Apologies if anyone was, was offended. Um, but then a Canadian reporter lands into the pre match uh, news conference for ahead of the Canada game. Um, and he was asked for his team's response to Herdman's quotes. And he said uh, he had lectured his opposition ahead of the game. And uh, he used the word in the press conference respect. The word respect 12 times in his answer. So this was his response. The Croatian team deserves respect from everyone. We respect everyone equally. Uh, we expect our opposing teams to respect us. We are worthy of their respect. The Canadians must also have respect for us. This way of putting words together is not a sign of respect. We're the World, World Cup runners-up from 2018, not Brazil, Spain or other countries. Brilliant. And then Kramaric, Andre Kramaric, uh, who scored the equaliser in the 36th minute and then got a second midway through the second half last night uh, against Canada, said uh, it had spurred Croatia on those comments from uh, John Herdman. Another uh, language warning for you here in just a second. Uh, picked up his player of the match award, Kramaric, and he uh, said, I want to thank the Canada coach for the motivation. In the end, Croatia demonstrated who fucked whom. <laughs> So it was fan- quite fantastic. Uh, uh, mafioso style, all due respect. Yeah. Anytime anybody's talking about respect, they don't mean it. Not the beef you expected. I actually saw an interview with a guy beforehand who was wearing a half Croatia, half Canada top. Uh, born in Croatia, five or six years old, moved to, to Canada, lived his life there, so he was, didn't know who to pick, didn't know who to choose. Uh, but very much, it's a, a new international rivalry uh, to, to kind of compete with the USA versus Iran, which we know is, is boiling up nicely off the pitch as well as on pitch. So, All right. Uh, Shifty Lad says literally every group stages of every World Cup are not great unless you're involved it's hindsight that makes you remember the good times these group matches are very good 
Enemies OK Feeney says definitely been some decent games so far and many upsets what do people want from the group stages I'm kind of with you Enemies OK Feeney and Aiden Healy says I've watched two full games England versus USA game being second I'm never getting those two hours back <laughs> you got to definitely be uh, careful if, if England are playing on ITV you can you can definitely swerve it. I'm, England, not, a, I'm yeah. not a believer in this, but I mean, it's just causation is not correlation. I, yeah, England USA was one of the games. It was actually the first game at the World Cup. I said I'm going to go to the pub and watch this one to, just to get a bit of an atmosphere instead of watching it at home. And uh, myself and the housemate went down to the pub and uh, surrounded by a lot of American fans. And there was one or two tables of English fans. And I was thinking before the game, this is great. We've got both sets of fans here. This is going to get really lively when, when USA eventually score and Pulisic gets the crossbar. You're thinking this is going to really heat up, but the game just never took off. And uh, unfortunately, we never got to see the beef uh, turn up in that one. To be fair to Southgate, he never really got a Wigan, which is something the Belgian FA must have never known, says Richard Redballs on uh, YouTube. I, I don't think Martinez is that bad. I do think that probably should have gone after the last tournament and let somebody else come in. But like, you remember how crap they were in the Euros before he came over? And like we were doing a bit of uh, research ahead of the, the uh, game that Belgium played against Ireland, they hated the manager whose name just escapes me, Mark Wilmots. Mark mm-hmm. Wilmots, the Belgian press hated him. They were leaking to somebody was leaking from the squad that Wilmots kept talking, bragging about himself as a player, uh, kind of Glenn Hoddle-esque, you know. Oh, this is what you should all be doing, and it was like uh, peak Hazard, peak Lukaku. Uh, peak De Bruyne and um, you know when when the centre backs were like only thirty two, you know, and they could still have uh, managed to what was that six years ago, so they would have probably been thirty. Um, yeah, I don't know. But okay. it's it's funny because the, the like I think there's a lot of pressure on managers in Belgium. Like it's one of those countries where it like Ireland, the obsession with the manager and the referendum is constant. It turns out that that's the case in. Every, every team country. in the world but like you only get exposure to it I remember when we were doing the Danish journalists they were like oh we don't think our manager's not doing right and then they come and hammer us and they're like oh it's not doing with the manager Christian Eriksen was really good like every fan base thinks that the international manager is shite basically yeah I, I was chatting to someone who was in Brussels last week maybe Spain at the moment have found somebody who is their spirit animal yeah there's all joy for him I was chatting to someone who was in Brussels last week and he said you wouldn't know being in the Belgian capital city that the country were in the World Cup there's just no fanfare there's no like advertisement flags. There's no, uh, I guess, pointed uh, indications that the country's in the World Cup whatsoever, which, which seems bizarre to me because I feel like if, if the Republic of Ireland were in the World Cup at the moment, there would just be World Cup fever everywhere and you'd certainly know it in the streets. Maybe I'm wrong. But um, yeah, uh, Belgium under pressure. But uh, yeah, Croatia-Canada had to be in the beef is real. Both in the amber, I think, after the, the little petty rivalry they had. All right, green. Let's get to the green. Uh, so France, we're going to go to the, the first green. The only 100% team left in the, uh, the World Cup. Uh, and rightly so, I think they're, they, they've been impressive. Kylian Mbappe has been the man of the tournament so far. I don't think anyone can argue with that. He's lit it up. Uh, Messi struggling for survival. Ronaldo's bringing controversy with him. Neymar has ankle troubles. And Mbappe is just uh, finding his form. And uh, as he did in the 2018 World Cup, he's just stepping up to the plate with France. Um, so himself and uh, Enner Valencia for Ecuador now, the, the leading goal scorers in the tournament. Three goals apiece. Uh, after two games uh, for each of them that's seven goals in World Cup games already for Kylian Mbappe in his career which is which is uh, an extraordinary stat when you consider that only he and Pele have scored that many in the World Cup uh, before they re- before they reach the age of 25 so he's now scored 50 goals for club and country in a calendar year for the first time as well so as well as being a danger coming in from the left flank he's also now banging in the goals so uh, kind of stepping up to the whole Benzema being out France are in a disaster mode before the World Cup when you're looking at Pogba and Kempembe and uh, all these guys and Kunku as well being ruled out. 
if they can France's chances maybe aren't as strong as, as we felt but uh, after the first two games you have to say they've been probably the most impressive team we have to, have to see Brazil of course uh, in their second game yet but uh, you're often talking about Mbappe being in the shadow of Ronaldo and Messi the last few years maybe because he's in the French League maybe because he hasn't won the Champions League with his club um, and he's yet, yet a lot uh, to prove he did, he did win the World Cup he was their best he player did. most important player when they won the World Cup so I, I think that should have put that argument to bed four years ago um, I, the Pele comparison is really interesting because you do feel like here is somebody who could reach the heady heights of a three-time World Cup winner and whatever comes at club level is going to come from a club level it does make you think though that like maybe he's going to make as much money playing for Paris Saint-Germain for the rest of his life and be able to peak for massive tournaments and there will be occasional months of the year where he's disappointed that they didn't win the Champions League, but the rest of the year he'll score 50 goals. Mm. And does he just decide that, yeah, I'm going to stay here, I'm going to be the King of France, and I'm going to try and win the World Cup three times and be like, yeah, I'm literally the greatest footballer ever. And nobody can argue. Yeah. I like... There's a lot of pressure. There's, there's pressure in, in a different kind on France. Brazil are the last team to defend the World Cup in it from you know, 1958 to 1962. If, if France could go and do that and become an iconic era team then, uh, I mean, that would be the next step. And Mbappe would be the leader in both World Cups, uh, as he's proved so far. They could be on course for an England clash in the quarterfinal. And, and more to come, you know, like plenty of time for him to, to keep well, exactly. Uh, he's, he's got loads it of it. It has been sensational, though. Like, it's, it, you know, it's, it's everything you wanted Mbappe to be able to do. There was definitely a fear earlier in the season when the row was happening at um, Paris Saint-Germain and the leaks were coming out about how he wasn't trying leg and he was, you know, I was like, actually... This could end really badly. He's got too much power. It's been a disaster for everybody. But he has arrived and has decided, yeah, I'm going to be at it. And he's at it. And it's brilliant to watch. It's amazing. Yeah. And Griezmann's probably the brains behind the operation at the moment. Um, like, Mbappe's is taking all the, the, the plaudits and, the, and the, uh, the headlines, of course. But Griezmann's been brilliant in this World Cup so far. In a more understated way. You have Dembele, who's been class. Giroud, uh, as well, has kind of stepped up with Benzema being out. So across the French team, there's just... You're looking at someone like Lucas Hernandez getting an ACL injury and you're thinking that's him out of the World Cup, that's a big blow for them at left back. But his brother his brother just walks into the team, Theo, and, and completely carbon copy of him. So I mean they're they're finding they're finding ways to fill those gaps that they had in terms of injuries. And uh Didier Deschamps just has uh, the team spirit is the thing. And uh, you talk about it with the Brazil team at the minute because when they're getting off the bus they're all singing and dancing and playing drums. There's something there. Um but the French have that as well. And uh, that, that's something that, that can be very, very dangerous as the tournament goes on. So I think if France, France end up playing England in a, in a quarterfinal, that would be curtains for England. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And that could be a 2 or 3 nil job, potentially. Well, I mean, you're, you're manifesting there, Shane. I'm manifesting, yeah. yeah, yeah, don't, yeah don't, be, um, don't be, you know, tempting fate. What's next? Yeah, next up in the, uh, the green, we'll go to uh, a brilliant weekend for the, uh, the Irish girls over in Australia, Sinead Goldrick, uh, making a little bit of history. Um, oh, on the, the weekend she's become the first woman to win a All Ireland Ladies football title and an AFLW Premiership title so Melbourne Demons beating the Brisbane Lions in the grand final in, uh, in Springfield down under uh, Blohi Mackin as well the Armagh player who was in Australia playing for the first time this season what a first season for her as well uh, and she scored a goal in the second quarter uh, before the crowd um, so mirroring that of, of Zach Toohey and, and Mark O'Connor that achievement with, with Geelong Cats this week this, uh, this season uh, and it now doubles the number of Irish AFLW Premiership title winners. So uh, tips Orla O'Dwyer, of course, winning, winning with Brisbane last year. She was on the, the wrong side of the game at the weekend, Orla O'Dwyer, unfortunately for her. Uh, and of course, Claire Jewell, Star Eilish Considine, who uh, was the first two-time winner of the AFLW. Uh, but we now have four winners 
uh, in the AFLW season. And Considine and Mackin are, are two key players for this Melbourne team as well, which which can't be dismissed. Um, uh, Ola Dwyer played well, despite being on the wrong side of the, of the game as well. 11 disposals, 2 marks, 6 tackles. Um, but for Goldrick and uh, for, for, the, for this Melbourne team, it's redemption. They lost the grand final to Adelaide earlier this year um, when uh, Lauren McGee, her Dublin uh, teammate, was, was alongside her. So really, really good achievement from, uh, from Sinead Goldrick. And when she, she looks back on her career now already, All-Ireland Ladies title champion. And she's gone down under and won, won the big one down there. So, I mean, I don't know when she's planning on coming home, if she's planning on coming home, but you can do it with your head held high now. Um, small enough crowd, 7,500, which I thought was... Quite small for a game of that magnitude down, down, down under when you consider the, the crowds that attend the, uh, you know, the Ladies All-Ireland Football Final here in Croke Park. So uh, that was one thing that kind of struck me. But um, huge achievement for, for Sinead Goldrick of Dublin and Blind Mac and of Armagh. So well done to the both of them. You can see the recruitment drive ramping up again from Australia for Ireland. And like, I just think it's great for anybody who gets the opportunity to go and see the world. I know that uh, the custodians of the game here will be concerned about the fact that... Um, Irish men and women are going to Australia in the numbers that they're going to but like does anybody begrudge them really? Yeah and I think in the women's game it's probably more pertinent because the the players you see going to Australia from ladies football are the top players in the country very often the Vicky Walls of this world and they're all having an impact straight away yeah like you don't see David Clifford and those types heading off to Australia well obviously Kerry had to map out a career plan for David Clifford and yeah. he introduced a whole campaign around keeping Clifford yeah and you have to do that uh, in the ladies game it's kind of it, it seems more difficult to hold on to the players for whatever reason um, but I'm sure teams are making more of a concerted effort now to, to keep those players in, in country uh, of course like Blind Mac and leaving Armagh was a huge blow to them they've become really good the last couple of years um, Goldrick is one of, one of those key players on that on that great Dublin team that uh, won four All Ireland titles between 2017 and 2020. Uh, of course, Mayo or Meath stopping the, the five in a row tilt in 2021, but uh, perfect time she picked to go. Uh, once once they, that four in a row was over, they were like, she was like, right, let's go. All right, that was this week's edition of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. 